Congratulations! You've been accepted into the inaugural class of Therapy for Black Girls University. Whether you're packing for a new year on campus, thinking through your gap year, enrolling in a community college, or grabbing your souls for graduation, embarking on the next chapter of your life is often exciting, but also a little scary. There can be a lot of unknowns that can leave you feeling uncertain, and having the right support can help you to feel confident and grounded. TBGU was designed to help strengthen your voice, sharpen your knowledge, and affirm who you are and who you'll become. Our goal is to create relevant and accessible resources, content, and experiences to help you thrive at this stage of your life and beyond. More from our conversation after the break. Hey, ladies, it's Dr. Joy. March is Women's History Month. Let's celebrate us. As women, we put our heart and soul into everything we do. Release the Pressure is here to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. I'm inviting you to help us get 100,000 Black women to learn more about their heart health. Go to www.releasethepressure.org and take the pledge to prioritize your heart health. That's www.releasethepressure.org. You are valuable. Learn more about your heart health today. Okay, y'all, just a heads up that Easter is early this year. So make sure to get everything you need to host for Sunday, March 31st. From pastel outfits for the whole family to brunch-ready serveware, Macy's has got you covered. And you're never too old for an Easter basket. So Macy's also has Toys R Us Easter basket goodies, from books to stuffed animals and even slime. You can find it all in-store or online at Macy's.com. Buying your first car can make you feel like a superstar as it's a big purchase, but it can take time to get there. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit helps you take control of your finances through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Hey, when the time comes to plan your next big getaway, know they got a destination idea for you. Orlando, just think about it. The thrills at their 15 world-class theme parks, followed by awesome outdoor adventures, amazing food festivals, and top-notch dining spots. Orlando has all that and much more than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. If you thought we were reserving the sex-positive September celebrations for our big sister brand, you thought wrong. Welcome to Sex Positive September, TBGU style. My name is Jaina Ellis, and I'm the TBG University Coordinator. You may remember my voice from a previous TBGU episode, The Growing Pains of Graduation. Dr. Joy has so kindly passed me the mic to begin leading the TBGU series as your new host. And because we wanted to return with a bang, in today's episode, we're talking all things SEX in college. Joining me today is sexual health education enthusiast, Dr. Daniela Thorne. She has over 12 years of experience in sex education research, curriculum writing, 
direct service, training design development, and facilitation. Dr. Thorne holds both a master's and doctoral degree in public health and has dedicated her career to supporting the advancement and institutionalization of inclusive, evidence-informed, and comprehensive sexual health education in school districts across the country. In our conversation today, we break down what's missing from Gen Z's current discourse around sex, what it means to practice sex positivity versus sex negativity, and shed light on how friends and family can support college students they suspect of suffering from sexual abuse or harassment. Here's our conversation. Very excited to chat with you, Dr. Thorne. Awesome. Thank you. Good morning. I'm so happy to be here with you all. Yes. Good morning. So you are a sexual health expert who has worked closely with youth in developing culturally competent sex education curricula to start. Can you tell our audience what degrees you have? What do you have them in and how these degrees have informed your work? Yes. Well, I'm so happy you asked. So I went to school a lot, right? So I have a bachelor's in human biology, bachelor's of science from the University at Albany in upstate New York. I also have a master's in public health with a concentration in health policy and management also from the University at um, Albany. And then lastly, the spirit moved me (laughs) to get a doctoral degree from Georgia Southern University. I have a doctorate in public health with a focus in community health and education. So that is a little bit of my educational history. Lovely. Well, can you walk us through what inspired you to work with youth in sexual health advocacy? Yeah, great question. I was always interested in teen pregnancy prevention. And then after I got my master's degree, someone had reached out to me to be a long-term sub for biology at a charter school. So I was like, okay, make a little extra coin during Mm -hmm. a master's program. The girls need the coin. And so I did that one morning, maybe for like two or three periods. And I really enjoyed it. My mom is an educator. She's a retired educator in New York City School. So I always had an aversion to education in regards to teaching in the traditional sense. But I enjoyed bio, kind of. But I noticed that the young girls who were predominantly black and brown girls, right, from Albany, New York, they always had questions about their bodies. And at the time I was in my early twenties. So they saw me as like big cousin who happens to be the bio teacher. And so once I completed my master's program, I had asked the principal if I could teach a public health course. And she really gave me the true autonomy to develop the course and pilot it. And so I was able to really embed a lot of the answers that the youth were asking me into the course outline. And I fell in love with sexual reproductive health. Like I was like, oh girl, you do not pee out your vagina. Let's talk about anatomy, right? Let's talk about hygiene. Let's talk about all the things that they used to come up and just talk to me about their partners and how do they navigate safe sex practices. And and so I was able to embed that in my classroom and also bring in culturally competent things that can land with my girls, right? So we're dissecting hip hop songs that I know that they're listening to. And we're talking about how does misogyny show up, right? And where do we get these ideas? Oh my goodness. At the time, thought had become a thing. I don't know if you know that word. I might be aging myself. No, yeah. I didn't even know what that word meant. And so just talking about like, what does that even mean? How do we determine whether someone is that? And just really unpacking those things. And so that's truly where I fell in love with education, sexual reproductive health education with young people, particularly my black, brown girls and 
then I got to a place of like, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So how do I position myself to be in spaces and to be in rooms in which we're talking about sex ed curricula for people that look like me, Mm -hmm. right? Because we cannot continue to take the cookie cutter approach and not have the conversations. Now, in hindsight, I didn't have to go get a doctorate for all of that in the Crudy Student Loans. But I decided to do that. And I'm grateful that I did because now it's something, one, you can't take away from me. And two, when I'm having the conversations, I have the theory to really back the things that I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And it positions me to then now train educators who are going to go into classrooms and ways that they can be more inclusive, be more values neutral when they're getting ready to teach sex ed or health education to the young people. So that's a little bit of my trajectory and how I fell into sexual reproductive health for young people. I love that. I adore that. And I think it's so important to have the teachers or the professors that are like cool with you enough to have those conversations and to open you up to questions you didn't know you had. So I love that. In your dissertation, you talked and you explored adolescents' perspectives on sexual health, education, curricula within the respective Georgia schools. Can you briefly talk with us through your study and share some key insights that you've gathered from that research? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So part of the doctoral process for me was to complete a dissertation. And a dissertation is essentially a novel study in which you look up a thing. It should be based in theory and no one has ever explored it before, right? That's essentially what a dissertation is. You write a really long book to like defend the things that you explored. So I knew I wanted to work with young people. What I didn't consider was that I went to school in a very, very rural town in Georgia. Like, talk about trusting the Lord. <laughs> I never visited this school. I saw that they had a focus in community health education. I was like, yep, this sounds good. This curriculum makes sense. I'm going to apply. They let me in, gave me a fellowship. I moved to Statesboro, Georgia. And I'm talking about cotton fields on the side. Thankfully, they had a Walmart. And I'm like, girl, I'm supposed to be here for three years? This was the stupidest decision I had ever made, but I quit my job. I'm here now. And so I went into this very rural Bible Belt city saying, hey, y'all, I'm the girl from Brooklyn who wants to study sexual reproductive health. And these are in spaces where the health PE teacher also happens to be the deacon of the whatever church is local, right? And so... I remember my dissertation chair saying, you sure you're going to get this research done here? And I'm like, well, baby, that's what I came for. So I was able to do four focus groups with young people ages 14 to 18 to really explore their perception of facilitators and barriers to accessing sexual reproductive health education in their schools. And then also their perception of what are the positives of getting sex ed in schools? What are the possible negatives? At the time, the area that my cohort came from, they were still getting abstinence-only sex ed. Honey, and like, it is 2015. Like, come on. And so they're still doing abstinence-only. And I just was like, okay, we know how teachers feel. There's a lot of research on how parents feel. There's a lot of research about administrators, communities. But like, y'all talk to the kids? You know, has anybody talked to the kids? And so it was so awesome to have a conversation with the young people, just candid conversations, focus groups, really to get rich data about what their desires were. And many of them had same concerns. So they found that their barriers were oftentimes educators. 
right? Teachers are uncomfortable talking to young people about sex, which makes the young people feel uncomfortable to ask questions. They found that parents can sometimes be advocates for sex ed, but they also could be hindrance, right? I don't want my child, my baby don't need to learn about that. My baby won't ever. And that's usually the baby that is ever, right? And also just like administrators, they found that community members have to really advocate. And we see that now all these years later, if the community and the parents are advocating for some level of comprehensive sex education in the school systems, usually the school districts have to meet that need. So it was really dope to be able to get that information from the young people, talk to the young people. And thankfully enough, that particular district ended up adopting a more inclusive sex ed curriculum. I wouldn't say because of my dissertation work, there was already community like advocacy happening on the ground roots of Brown changing the curriculum and so my dissertation happened at like a pivotal time where I was like oh I gotta collect this data before they change everything which is like a great thing but also I gotta get up out of here right and so that was what my research was around I love that I love that so can you explain or dive into what does inclusive sex ed look like Yes. So inclusive sex ed, comprehensive sex ed looks like age and stage appropriate information for young people. And that means a lot of things. So that means at kindergarten, we are talking to our young people about boundaries. Right. What does a good boundary look like? If so, this is your circle of space. If someone doesn't want to be in your circle of space, you got to check in. Can I give you a hug? May I borrow your pencil? Can I borrow your blanket for nap time? That's in the elementary level or even kindergarten. And then it goes all the way through the life course. And so comprehensive sex education, we're not teaching kindergartners about safe sex practices, right? We're saving that for later years because we want to make sure it's age and stage appropriate. But exploring your sexuality and human growth and development is literally a part of the human experience. And so we're not going to wait till high school to talk about puberty when many of our young people are experiencing changes to their body physically, emotionally, mentally, perhaps at late elementary, fifth grade. And so it's having conversations around basic anatomy, safe sex practices, boundaries, decision-making, refusal skills. I think people oftentimes, they're just like, say no to sex, say no to drugs. But what do you do when you actually want to have sex with your partner? How do you say no when you actually do have the desire, right? It's easy to say no to a stranger. But if you are partnered and you want to express your love in that way, how do you do that? How do you negotiate condom usage? How do you have conversations around decision-making with your partner, right? How do you explore pregnancy options? And of course, these are topics that will come up later on, perhaps in high school, but it's really across the life course. Our bodies are consistently changing. For that fourth grade person who might be developing breast tissue, do they even know what breast tissue is? When they get their cycle, do they know how to change their sanitary products? If no one has ever told them that, hey, there's going to come a point where you're going to start menstruating. And now you're like, oh my gosh, I'm dying a little bit. (laughs) There's blood coming from parts of my body that doesn't make sense. So it's just, teaching people about their bodies and really normalizing that it is a part of the life course that your body is going to continue to change. Mm -hmm. These desires are normal. And also exploring gender identity, sexual orientation, all those things, all all of it, (laughs) put a nice bow on it. Those are topics that show up in inclusive sex education. I love that. So we talked about like, what does inclusive sex ed look like? But what does exploring it look like? What does exploring your sexuality look like? Okay. (laughs) I think exploring your sexuality looks like what does pleasure look like to you, right? So exploring your sexuality is what feels good to me, 
when do I feel the most sexiest? What do I feel the most confident? Mm -hmm. Who are the people that I'm enjoying sharing intimate space with, right? What clothes make me feel, you know, there's a certain material, you know, for some, it might be some satin pajamas that you just put it on. You're like, wow, I'm giving Mm -hmm. today. And so what does pleasure look like to you? And pleasure isn't always physical intercourse. Pleasure can be just feeling good and confident about yourself. What are the things that make you feel the most confident that bring you joy? And also exploring sexuality to me is whom are you attracted to? Perhaps what type of sex do you enjoy to have? And then I would say unlearning some of the biases that you may have been taught around sexuality. Whether we realize it or not, our upbringing, there are so many values that are embedded in us from our homes where we're reared, the communities in which we grow up in, the music that we listen to. I grew up with a mom who loved those. I'm talking about Barry White, Luther Vandross. I will sing you a Luther Vandross song down. Okay? (laughs) That music also embeds little things and values about sex and sexuality. And so exploring what those biases are. Do you hold these values or were these values superimposed on you? All of that is exploration. And I think it's constant. I'm a 35-year-old woman who, even now, I'm like, huh, do I have that opinion because I have that opinion? Or is it because I grew up in a Caribbean household and, like, (laughs) I just had no other choice but to have that opinion? So I would say learning, exploring, but also for some, it's unlearning. Yes. I'm curious to know, what is sex positivity? Can you elaborate on what that looks like? I... I'm so excited for this answer. For me, I am new to sex positivity. And so wanting to just learn, like, what does that mean? The terms are forever changing. To me, sex positivity is like really showing up as your most authentic, having the most agency about your sexual decision making. And I would say consensual sexual decision making, really free of like bias or judgment, right? Like, this is who I am. This is what makes me feel good. These are the sexual decisions that I make. I am communicating my desires to my partners. I am exploring fantasies. I am advocating for myself and my sexual health, perhaps when I'm with my clinician. Like I am just walking in my most authentic (laughs) sexual being self. If I want to wear my satin pajamas to sleep because it's going to make me feel good, I'm going to do those things. I think it's like having true autonomy and agency around your sexual decision making. To me, that's what sex positivity is and you know some people choose to share those things out broadly and others choose not to so to me that's what it is to be sex positive really walking in your desires and feeling confident and comfortable in your decision making Mm. around sex and sexuality Mm, okay a lot of the things that folks would say would be sex positive right would be like that's not ladylike now people don't need to know you know like Now, don't share that's too much. You keep that for marriage, right? And then you get into purity culture and all those things. So it's a really interesting concept to kind of wrap your mind around. But what do you think is missing from Gen Z's current discourse around sex positivity on social media? Oh, my gosh. I think what is so amazing about Gen Z is that there's a level of confidence and like sex positivity for sure. They walk in their purpose. They obviously naturally have access to way more information than I could even fathom having at that time. But I just think that because of social media, there is just so much perpetuation of misinformation. And so there is this like, sometimes I would say misinformation or disinformation. Sometimes it's intentional. Other times I just think that it's like, this is literally not true, but 
if you can get viral enough and get enough people to follow you on TikTok or you get that soundbite that goes to the shade room, now people will be Googling the thing that was literally not true. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, what's missing to me is just this fact-based information because as much as Gen Z is out here doing amazing things, Gen Z is also a generation that didn't necessarily have access to conferences like that, at least school-based conferences like that, right? And so you ask Siri, you ask Google, you talk to Alexa to get some information that you may not have. And there could just be this crazy perpetuation of false information. And I think that's what's missing. Like, how do you go back to the facts to ensure that the things that you're saying are indeed correct, right? Catching an STD sitting on a toilet seat, you're not going to get that. But I guarantee you, if a celebrity or someone who has a following accidentally says something like that, there is someone who is not going to do the fact checking. Now the world thinks that this is the truth, right? And now we've lost everyone because now for this 48 hours on Instagram, <laughs> there are going to be people who walk away feeling like this falsehood is true. And I think that's what's missing, the fact checking. Can you list and debunk some of the common misconceptions that you're speaking about? Yes. Oh, such a good question. I would say literally how do people potentially expose themselves to sexually transmitted infections? I think we saw this even with COVID or monkeypox. Like people just really lack basic understanding. Granted, I have several public health degrees, but like basic understanding of how things are transmitted to person to person. I think that there is a lack of information on particularly bacterial infections. So if you get chlamydia once, you can't get it again. You can, unless you complete your antibiotics. I think there's a lot of information missing there. There's a lot of information missing around basic anatomy. I follow this page on Instagram and they go around and they ask male presenting people questions around female anatomy. Like, what is the different size of tampons stand for? And some of the responses, I'm like, not in 2023. Are y'all saying it's the size of the vagina? So I think there also is just a basic misunderstanding of anatomy, the conversation about like promiscuity and just number of people you've had sex with. Is that an indicator of your sexual reproductive health status and wellness? No. So I just think there's so many myths that just need to be debunked. I think that is amazing. And I want to get a bit negative. So can you describe what is sex negativity? Like, what does it mean to be sex negative? How does that show up in our daily lives? Can you describe what that looks like for the everyday person? Because I'm sure it's more common than what we're thinking. Yes, I think any comment statement that is based in misogyny, purity culture, the patriarchy, anything that has to do with like these sexist, like women should this, mm -hmm. right? Men can do this, but girls should do this. If they do that, then they are this. Mm -hmm. I think all of that is sex negative. Anything that does not concern you in your body and your parts that you have to say about someone else's decision making is negative. Any stereotypes that are perpetuated around a person, their body, their gender identity, their sexual mm -hmm. orientation is sex negative because the whole idea about sex positivity is like free of shame, right? Like you are who you are and you make your sexual reproductive health decisions unashamed, very clearly, and you're making these decisions for you, yourself, and perhaps your partner. I think anything that is sex negative is not minding your business, drinking your water, <laughs> And mining other people's private parts, right? Because what someone does is, especially if I'm not being intimate with them, it's literally none of my business. However, 
a lot of the music that we listen to, right, is based in sex negativity. If you just think about the discourse that we see on social media around sex, it, it's so based in purity culture. Like, I'm not marrying a person that has had X or this. Like, it is so deeply ingrained. And that's why when we were talking about exploring one's sexuality or even sex positivity, I was saying some of it is unlearning. Because I think in general, a lot of the rhetoric that we are taught, and I'll speak specifically for me, being Caribbean and being Christian, it is based in a culture that probably a white man outlined, and we have just been listening (laughs) to it for our entire lives. And so we believe that women should be this, and men should be that. And men definitely have the ability to explore their sexuality and sow their royal oats, but a woman should just be meek and allow a man to please them. I was listening to this podcast a couple months ago and it blew my mind. And the question was, when does sex end? And I just think about like the movies, the TV show, sex ends when the man climaxes. The man climaxes and then sex is over. And I'm like, well, you know what? <laughs> what a concept. But that's what's perpetuated in the media, right? Like this male presenting person climaxes and now the experience is over Mm -hmm. and so if you just think about deeply all the message that we are taught around stereotypes about men women etc a lot of it is sex negative and most of the burden to be sexually I would say oppressed is on the woman more from our conversation after the break Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. March is Women's History Month. Let's celebrate us. As women, we put our heart and soul into everything we do. Release the Pressure is here to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. The RCP Heart Health Squad will support you in protecting your mental health and overall well-being. I'm inviting you to help us get 100,000 Black women to learn more about their heart health. Go to www.releasethepressure.org And take the pledge to prioritize your heart health. That's www.releasethepressure.org. You are valuable. Learn more about your heart health today. You never know who's following in the footsteps of great women in science, like Katherine Johnson, Mae Jemison, and Dr. Kizzy Corbett. So Macy's is proud to join Girls, Inc. to empower a new generation of leaders now during Women's History Month. Throughout March, You can help fund STEM and college and career readiness programming for girls when you donate online to Girls, Inc. or round up your purchase. And don't forget to shop women-owned and founded brands like Kaylee Cosmetics, New Face, and Better Not Younger. Learn more and celebrate the creative power of women now and all year round at Macy's.com slash purpose. You may be aware that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct, positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Many people feel anxious when they think about finances. 
It can feel overwhelming, stressful, and even hopeless, especially when you're first starting out and don't know what to do. But when you have a solid financial plan in place, this anxiety turns into confidence. You can regain a sense of control over your life and improve your self-esteem. How do you build financial confidence? Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit helps you take control of your finances through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. So amongst our group chats, in our dorm rooms, in our friend groups, we've heard this term body count. And discuss its importance or lack thereof. What are your thoughts on some of the discourse surrounding the amount of people someone has had sex with? My thoughts is like, y'all really be bored. There is no way we are still talking about this. (laughs) Like, throw on out the window. It is such an antiquated conversation. And I find the people who are perpetuating this conversation are so misinformed. Because the real questions that you need to be asking someone is, when's the last time you've had a comprehensive sexual reproductive health analysis, a blood panel where we're exploring your possibility of viral, bacterial, parazoa. Like, when's the last time you've been tested for real, for real? Don't just tell me they just swabbed you for chlamydia and gonorrhea because there's a lot of stuff out there other than that, right? That's the conversation. A person can have one sexual partner, no sexual partner, 150 sexual partners. That still is not an indicator of their health status. I think the conversation is pregnancy options. If we are having sex and if we're having vaginal unprotected sex or even protected sex, there's a possibility of pregnancy. Let's have a conversation about what are our thoughts about if we potentially have an unintended pregnancy? What are your safe sex practices? That's the question to me to ask, right? Are you on some form of hormonal birth control? Do you use condoms? Like, what are we... The number of people... What? I just think it's a very old conversation Again, still based in misogyny because I don't Mm -hmm. think that women are asking men these questions. Anytime that I've seen it come up, it is, oh, my woman got to only have (laughs) X, Y, and Z. I'm not marrying nobody that have more than X, Y, and Z. And like, also too, where are these numbers coming from? You know, but at the same time, if you have the perception could be if you have X amount of partners on the higher spectrum of whatever this spectrum is that is just problematic. Does that mean that you have more experience? It's just problematic. And the conversation has been very longstanding. I do not think it's going anywhere. And I think it's because this expectation of like purity culture. I know for me, it was always like 10 fingers, keep it on 10 fingers. And so I brought that into college. That was my mindset. I was like, as, as long as I, I have 10, I could count on 10 fingers. And so going back to your point of purity culture and just all of that, it's deeply embedded. And like, I don't believe it's going anywhere either. I think it's an evergreen conversation. 
Yeah, it is so evergreen. And I've heard the 10 fingers thing too. Oh, if it's one of 10 fingers, then they're like, oh, that's too much, right? right? Like, do you not want a partner who knows about their body and knows how to communicate what their desires are? Because if this person doesn't know how to communicate their desires or is not able to please you, are you going to seek being pleasure somewhere else? It's just so... And so you still hear it now, right? Mm -hmm. I would assume that people still bring it up. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Jaina, where did you learn this 10-finger rule for the number of sexual partners you should have in a lifetime? That was passed on from one of my aunties, and that was passed on from her mother. So I remember that conversation like it was yesterday. It was before I was going off to campus, and it was like 10 fingers. And I was like, you know what? That makes sense. But looking back, it perpetuating sex negativity and like everything that you just stated about what being sex negative is. Yeah, my mom will even, like, God bless her. She'll say things like, I can count the number of people I've been with on one hand. I'm right. like, okay. <laughs> you know, does that mean you're going to heaven? What does that translate into? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. What does it mean? What is the badge of honor there? But right. Again, like, I'm sure that was ingrained from her mother mm-hmm. and her mother and her mother, right? Mm-hmm. And if you think about decades of the things that women had to do in order to have some level of security, Being partnered, being married to a man was one of those things. And Mm -hmm. if we think about decades ago, our grandparents, grandparents, you they wanted to marry a woman who hadn't sexually debuted yet. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just this idea of desirability, right? If I potentially want to have this long-term partnership, what are the things that I can do to be more desirable? And I think one of those things are not really exploring yourself sexually. If I don't know the things that bring me joy sexually, what pleasure really looks like for me. And I enter into this lifelong covenant with someone, i.e. marriage, then whatever you do, I just got to take it because I don't even know what pleasure looks like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I might just let you hunch me right. at night because that's what they say I'm supposed to do. I think of Bridgerton. I don't know if you watched Queen Charlotte or like just like the examples of these women who are just literally laying down to just procreate. And they just look like they are not experiencing any levels of joy, Mm -hmm. any levels of pleasure. That culture, I think, still bleeds into many of the conversations that we're having now, which is why the only way to describe it is antiquated. Mm -hmm. We cannot keep talking about body count. Right. I agree. How can college students or younger women navigate the shame around their sexuality, their sexual activity, the negative messages that they have received from family, friends, society? How can they navigate it? It's hard. I would say it's definitely hard because in college, you're still learning yourself, right? We say to these people, especially people who go to college traditionally at 18, 17, 18, like, go forth, be married, make all these decisions, know what you want to do for the rest of your life. The thing that I thought I wanted to do when I entered college is absolutely not what I'm doing. I didn't even know the type of work that I do exists. And so I say all of that to say, like, it's hard because you're still learning yourself. And a lot of people are going into college very uninformed about sexual reproductive health, right? And so I would say the shame comes when you're not informed. I would also say having a good community and or resources or place that you can just ask questions to. If you don't have information, you can ask questions having a solid friend group, whether that be your friend group from high school or people that you trust in college, which I know that can look very different. I don't necessarily think that you need to yell from the mountaintop 
what your sexual decisions are or the things that you're exploring or the people whom you're choosing to Mm -hmm. be intimate with. And so I think I would say like, as you're figuring it out, keep it close to yourself Mm -hmm. and or people that you trust. And I know trusting friends can be something that is very challenging for a college student to figure out. But once you find your community, really hold on to that community Mm -hmm. and talk with them about what it is that you're thinking and feeling. Because nine times out of 10, you're not the only, right? You might just be the first to initiate the conversation. Exactly. How can LGBTQIA plus students find sex ed resources specific to their identity? Yeah, such a good question. I think that the internet is a great resource. I would encourage folks to check out PlannedParenthood.org. There's so much information around that. I think sexual health resources, whether you want to engage in oral, anal, or vaginal sex, there's going to be always information about different types of safe sex practices and or devices that a person can use. Now, is that information going to be cognizant of talking about body parts and not necessarily use gender language? Maybe not. And so I would encourage a person who identifies with being LGBTQ plus to just look for resources that talk about the different types of safe sex practices that you might be engaging in, whatever that looks like. Yeah, that would be my advice. But I always say Planned Parenthood is a great place to start. Gotcha. I'm curious to know, what are some signs of sexual abuse? Are Black women more susceptible to sexual abuse than other groups? Yeah, good question. It's such a hard question because I think, again, back to this idea of sexual reproductive health education or just education, I don't think people are really clear about what sexual abuse looks like other than what we see on special victims. You know what I mean? What we see on TV shows, which are oftentimes very extreme circumstances. I would say educating yourself on what sexual abuse looks like. You know, even basic to sexual harassment. What is sexual harassment? If you are walking down the street and someone grazes you and or touches you at a party and you didn't necessarily care for that, that is a form of sexual harassment. You know, and so I think at minimum, we need to educate ourselves, Black women for sure, college students even more about what is sexual abuse, what is sexual harassment, what is it to be sexually violated? Because I think oftentimes people just go to the extreme, like forced intercourse, which is not necessarily always the case. There are also smaller things that might happen that maybe you may be uncomfortable with. And I think about when I was in college, which wasn't that long time ago, well, <laughs> like that was a little while ago. But some of the things that went on in parties or in the dorm rooms, it's like, oh, wait, this is not okay and could potentially be a form of sexual harassment, but people just weren't informed. And so at minimum, I would say get informed. Anything that makes you feel uncomfortable, anything that is a violation of your boundary, whatever that physical boundary is, that's a violation. It could potentially be a form of sexual harassment, assault, abuse, etc. Obviously, bruising is an indicator I would also say if you have a friend who is isolating themselves, Mm -hmm. that could be an indicator of some form of abuse or even interpersonal violence with a partner. And so isolation, if you notice, it's just a difference in like the way that they're carrying themselves. Like maybe they seem a little bit more down. They're not in a good space and or the way in which maybe they're talking about their partner or a specific day or time. I think all of those could be indicators that person may have had a negative experience. Gotcha. How can a friend or a family member best show up for someone who 
they think has experienced sexual abuse or assault or harassment? Yes. I think best thing to do is listen. Listen and believe that survivor. Ask them what the support look like. I think sometimes we want to just be fixers. I know for me, that's like, okay, what do I need to do? How, do, how can I fix it? But I think asking them what support looks like if they don't know, because a lot of times we don't even know what we want as support. I would say just showing up as a friend, checking in. You certainly want to believe. You definitely don't want to victim blame, right? I think, again, back to this culture of things that we were reared to. Well, what were you wearing? Well, what did you say? Were you drinking? Did you say you were okay with it at 2 p.m.? But now at 10 p.m., you're not okay with it? Well, now consent is gone, right? Don't victim blame. Listen, provide support, remain available, and just show whatever they need, be there for them. I think just listening and not victim blaming is going to be two critical things with supporting a loved one who may have experienced some type of violation. I love that. And I think it's important just to recognize how common it is on these campuses and we think that it occurs and that we need to support a friend or a friend of a friend. It's so common. And so I love all the tips that you just gave because I wish I would have had more of those while in school for sure. Same, same. More from our conversation after the break. Hey, ladies, it's Dr. Joy. March is Women's History Month. Let's celebrate us. As women, we put our heart and soul into everything we do. Release the Pressure is here to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. The RCP Heart Health Squad will support you in protecting your mental health and overall well-being. I'm inviting you to help us get 100,000 Black women to learn more about their heart health. Go to www.releasethepressure.org and take the pledge to prioritize your heart health. That's www.releasethepressure.org. You are valuable. Learn more about your heart health today. Wedding season is right around the corner. Perhaps your mailbox is already getting full of save the dates and your weekends are filling up quickly with celebrations for some of your favorite people. Or perhaps you're the one who's in full swing planning your big day. Let Macy's help you check off some of the things on your to-do list. They've got all the latest dresses, shoes, and jewelry you need to make a stunning appearance no matter the dress code or occasion. Whether it's a traditional ceremony in the town you grew up in or a beautiful destination wedding. And they've got you covered on gifts for the couple as well. So you can get everything you need for all of the celebrations in one place. Check out Macy's Wedding Shop to help you get celebration ready at macy's.com slash wedding shop. You may be aware that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct, positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Many people feel anxious when they think about finances. It can feel overwhelming, stressful, and even hopeless, especially when you're first starting out and don't know what to do. But when you have a solid financial plan in place, this anxiety turns into confidence. 
You can regain a sense of control over your life and improve your self-esteem. How do you build financial confidence? Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit helps you take control of your finances through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. How can school admin better support college students who've experienced concerns about their sexuality or sexual assault? I think admin can do like a way better job educating. I feel like freshmen should have to take courses around sexual reproductive health, like legit, because most of these young people have did not get it when they were in high school. And then you send them to college and it's a free for all. And so I think that there should be a requirement for sexual reproductive health education your first semester, freshman year, the same way they make you take those freshman like basic classes where they try to teach you time management, child. I think there needs to be an embedding of sexual reproductive health. Like I think about all the policies that I have learned about now, like Title IX in my adult life doing this work. And I'm like, I'm sure I did the orientation video where I just click through, click through, click through. But I don't remember ever having access to resources in a way that I knew what my rights were as a student and or I felt informed and encouraged to share if ever I had been violated or know where to go other than to go to the campus police. Who do I go to? Are there counseling services that I can access to really explore? Was I actually violated? What about consent? Oh my goodness. Outside of not being able to spell consent, they most definitely don't know what consent is, right? What is consent? How do you know that a person is happily agreeing to the thing? Can consent be withdrawn? Absolutely. So again, if I send my boo thing a text message at 2 p.m. and I'm like, oh, it's on tonight after the party is lit. And then after the party, I'm like, I don't really want to. And I say, no, you no longer have my consent, right? (laughs) Right? I think about how many people in college engage in sexual experiences while drunk, while on some type of narcotic. That is not consensual. It's legally not consensual. And so I think, a class, a course where it's like, you have to sit and do this. It's not a press the next, answer five questions. And now we have proof that you've taken this sexual harassment training. And that is good for you for the next four <laughs> plus years that you're going to be in college. There needs to be this not only happen in freshman year, but this refresher in which we're reiterating to young people on college campuses. Here's where your resources are. And remember, this is what consent looks like, how to receive it right. and also how to give it. Because I think there's a lost conversation around how do you give consent in a way that you're comfortable with? And I think oftentimes we're like, oh, well, did the guy get consent? He got consent. But are we also making sure that we're educating our black and brown girls on how to give consent or how to refuse a sexual advance? I think all of that is lost. And I think colleges could definitely do a better job in making sure that their students are informed. I fully agree. And it's going off of consent. It's super known that Parties can be a place where students can have fun, but are also a place of higher instances of sexual assault. We often hear advice, you know, you protect your drinks, you're in a group. What are some other tips or pieces of advice that you can give to students to stay vigilant in such settings? 
I would say code words to your friends. Ooh. Like, girl, I'm thinking about when I was in college and I started undergrad in 2006. And I remember my mom saying things to me like, oh, make sure you cover your drink. And like, I just don't think roofing was a thing when I was in college. There was definitely a cause, like, I'm not going to the bar and leaving my drink uncovered because like people are weird, but it's less about, oh, you're going to put a roofie in my drink and also like germs, right? Like just germs. But <laughs> I think code words with your friends, right? Like we want to give our friends autonomy, like, oh girl, he kind of cute. You want to go home with him or whatever. But like, hey friend, when I say pineapples, just get me out the situation. The dope part about just, now and technology is like you can share your locations with your friends if you're going on a date with someone that you haven't met i also would say obviously as best as you can stay coherent and aware so i wouldn't be unrealistic and say don't drink especially if you're of age over the age of 21 and you're in college i would be a hypocrite if i said don't drink while you're turning up in college right but being mindful of what your limits are i would say knowing what your limits are is it that third shot that's going to send you over the edge, usually by college. Okay, not the brown. I'm not a brown girl. I'm a light girl, right? Whatever type of alcohol you drink, just be drinking and consuming whatever it is responsibly, I think is also important just so that you're in as best of a sober mind to make decisions. And just being around a community of people that you trust. Like I know when I was an undergrad, if we came into the club together, we are leaving together. There is no... Oh, I'm about to go over here, dip off with this one and go to his room. No, 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 no. Because you have enough time from us leaving the club, going to the room, packing your little spending night bag to now kind of sober up a little bit and make decisions. So I would say having a solid group of friends and community in college is going to be really important. That can also be your gauging point. Like, since you sure you want to do this? Okay. All right, I respect you. Well, text me, checking in. I think those things are really, really important. I love the code word. I love that. I didn't think about that. I love that. You talked a little bit about Title IX, but can you explain what Title IX is and why might it be important for a student to be aware of this law? So that's such a good question. So Title IX is this law that really prohibits any type of sex-based discrimination in K-12 as well as college schools. We oftentimes see it in sports, We see it around sexual assault cases in which survivors are trying to hold the school responsible for whatever may have happened to them when they were violated. We're seeing it a lot now in a lot of the trans conversations, right? Trans young people playing on whatever sports or having gender neutral bathroom. Anything that can be sex-based discrimination is usually tied up into Title IX. Gotcha. Thank you for explaining that. Mm -hmm. Dr. Thorne. What are three to five things that students should keep in mind when thinking about having safe sex? Again, I will say know your basic anatomy, right? I would say be comfortable exploring what pleasure looks like to you, whatever that means to you. And of course, this is for college age folks, right? (laughs) Exploring what pleasure looks like to you, know your anatomy. I would say explore what unintended pregnancy options may look like to you if you're engaging in vaginal sex and there's this possibility to get pregnant like what are your pregnancy options what is your stance on there most certainly you want to explore what contraceptive use looks like to you right if you are 
a female body person having sex with a male body person, there is a possibility for unintended pregnancy. So are you going to only depend on that male body person to use a condom? Are you interested in getting on hormonal birth control? Are you interested in long-term birth control? Like the IUD or the implant that can stay in for a couple years. And so exploring what does making those decisions around your body look like. I would also say being open to, again, what does sex, sexuality, sexual expression, gender identity, sexual orientation look like and mean to you? Not what you were taught, not what you were exposed to in your upbringing, because we bring those values into our college spaces because that's all we know. And so exploring what that looks like, your basic anatomy, exploring what pleasure looks like, exploring what your safe sex practices will be right? Which ones do you want to explore? Maybe you want to try the birth control pill. Mm, You don't like how that made you feel. Okay. Maybe you'll try something non-hormonal. And then if you are engaging in vaginal penile sex, like what does the possibility of pregnancy options look like for you if you're choosing not to use safer sex practices? And the last thing I will add is at what frequency will you go get tested, get screened for STIs? Because It's important if you are going to be sexually active that you also are sexually responsible and screen yourself for possible infections. Right. Do you have any recommended podcasts or books that we should look into to deepen our knowledge on exploring your sexuality? Yeah, I'm not saying that college students don't read books, but I'm saying that college students barely want to read the books (laughs) that they got for class. So I would say some Instagram pages that I really appreciate is Ask Goody. Really enjoy Goody's work. Sex with Ashley is also a great IG page. One of my sister friends, her work is so dope because she really explores intimacy, but with a Christian lens for Black women. So her name is The Intimacy Firm. I would encourage folks to look at that. I enjoy Shan Boudram. She also has a podcast called Lovers and Friends, and it's always great dialogue around sexuality, relationships. And then there's this podcast called Not Another Sex Podcast, which is like such a perfect name for the podcast. And they do some really good dialogues as well around sex and sexuality and pleasure. So I think those are like really great starting points just to get information around like exploring sexuality for a young adult in college, just trying to figure this thing out one day at a time. Right. Something easy, quick, digestible on my phone, fast. Right. <laughs> Other thing about books is like books are really cool, but by the time the book is probably published, some new information has came out, mm. a new term has come out, right? And so it's like I think podcasts and even social media platforms are just an easier way to get quick, digestible information about a topic of your choosing. Right. And but back to your point college students have enough to read i think an instagram (laughs) an instagram page is probably more for a college student so i definitely love that you're like you're on instagram anyway right you're on instagram anyway (laughs) tiktok instagram all of it yes exactly where can we keep up with you what are your social media handles and our website Yes. So check me out. My Instagram is Miss D Lotus. So M-I-S-S-D-E-E-L-O-T-U-S. Please follow me. Tag me. I am a hoot. I think my Instagram is really me walking in my most authentic self. So please feel free to follow me. I'm also on LinkedIn if folks wanted to have a conversation with me around just my career trajectory, any support that I could provide for anyone who's interested in the field of sexual reproductive health education. My name on there is Daniela 
Lala Thorne. So D is in dog, A-N-I-E-L-L-A. Last name is Thorne. T is in Tom, H-O-R-N-E. I'm happy to connect with any young person, especially young black girl that's just trying to be out here making it. Let's talk, girl. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing this with us. I appreciate it, Dr. Thorne. Yes, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I want to thank Dr. Thorne once again for joining us for this episode. Class is over for now, but not before we assign homework. From our conversation today, take the following notes home with you. Get tested often for all STIs if you are sexually active. If you identify as LGBTQIA+, seek out resources with credible organizations like Planned Parenthood. Be open to exploring what your sexual identity is, what pleasure means to you, and what safe sex practices work best for your body. To learn more about the work Dr. Thorne is doing or to do more research on this topic, be sure to visit therapyforblackgirls.com backslash TBGU. This episode was produced by Frida Lucas, Elise Ellis, and Zaria Taylor. Editing is by Denison L. Bradford. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. March is Women's History Month. Let's celebrate us. As women, we put our heart and soul into everything we do. Release the Pressure is here to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. I'm inviting you to help us get 100,000 Black women to learn more about their heart health. Go to www.releasethepressure.org and take the pledge to prioritize your heart health. That's www.releasethepressure.org. You are valuable. Learn more about your heart health today. Hey, debit card users, listen up. Discover has something especially for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can start earning cash back on everyday debit card purchases. You heard that right. Cash back on debit purchases because cash back isn't just for credit cards. It's time you also get some love. Oh, and I should also mention that this has no fees, period. Finally, the game-changing checking account you deserve. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Conair is spreading love and celebrating women, not just on International Women's Day, but every day with Conair Girlbomb. Girlbomb is their new line of powerful hair removal tools made just for us. Yeah. Whether it's the silky smooth skin or the empowering confidence boost you get, Conair Girlbomb is here to amp up those positive vibes with some self-care. So to all the beautiful women out there, keep shining, keep being you, and treat yourself to some Conair Girlbomb magic. You deserve it. Available at Walgreens.